You're listening to episode 63 of the Take the Reins podcast with Nikki Porter. Welcome, and thanks for stopping by. You're listening to Take the Reins, a weekly personal growth podcast for horse owners. If you're invested in becoming the best version of yourself in all your relationships, both human and equine, this is the spot for you. Through our conversations, you will learn how to become a stronger communicator, leader, and deepen the connection you crave both in and out of the arena. Horses have an awful lot to teach us, yet very little of it actually has to do with horses. They reflect back to you who you are emotionally, physically, and energetically. They are a mirror to your soul, and it is time to take an honest look at who you are and who you want to become. I can't wait to connect with you, so here we go. Welcome to the Take the Reins podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Porter, and I am thrilled today to be speaking to Jim Masterson and Dylan Silver. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks. Thanks. I think our main topic of conversation today is really going to be around a great documentary that I had the privilege of viewing uh, not that long ago. And as soon as I watched it, I sent the name and how to get access to it to a group of women who I knew was going to love it immediately or who who were going to love it immediately. And uh, can you just, before we get too far into a mind like still water, Jim and Dylan, can you just give us an idea of who you are, where you're from and how on earth you're working together? Who wants to go first? (laughs) You go, Jim. Okay. I'll go. So I can talk, I can tell you about what I do and how Mark and I, got together working and then um, Dylan can tell you about how we all got together. So um, I don't know if anybody knows what what it, the Masterson method is, but it's a method of equine body work where you learn to read and follow subtle changes in the horse's body language as you're working on the horse. And that kind of guides your work. It's it's like feedback from the horse. And the value of that is that, is that um, the horse participates in the process and the horses you're working with the horse's nervous system and the horse actually you have to do it with the horse you, you don't do it to the horse and if you do it to the horse it doesn't work so it's a, it's very interactive with the horse so you have the value of the horse releasing tension on its own working with the horse's nervous system you have the value of connecting with the horse on a different level because you're learning how to read subtle its body language and it's interesting that when you learn how to read the horse's body, I'll try not to get too much into it, but when you get to- Oh, don't le- worry. We, okay, we'll enjoy you, it. Okay. When you learn how to f- read subtle changes in the horse's body language, which is how they communicate, um, you you have access to a whole new level of information, but also when the horse gets that you're getting what it's saying, not saying to you necessarily, but when the horse gets that you're following that, the horse, the, the, the horse drops all kinds of layers of- um, of fear and doubt, you know, because they get when they give a little blink and you change maybe the pressure that you're using, they get that you're following them. So uh, it really does affect your relationship with your horse, that communication. But from a from a bodywork point of view, it's super effective because the horse releases the horse's nervous system releases the tension, not you're not mechanically asking something to relax. So anyways, that's what I do and what I teach. And um, I, I started 
well, I won't get into in, unless you want to know a little later, but how I got started in this. But uh, Mark, uh, I came across Mark at a horse expo in Minnesota. Uh, and it, I didn't know him before that point. I knew who he was. And, and I was thinking he was at the horse expo and I was there doing presentations and he was. And, and I was thinking, oh, I want to meet Mark Rashid. What am I going to do? Should I just go up to his and introduce myself or should I do what? And then, um, yeah. And so I, I, Saturday morning, I go into our, to my booth and Mark and Chrissy are there. So they wanted to meet me and I wanted to meet them. So it just happened. And, um, it turned and, uh, Chrissy does, uh, equine body work. And so she came, went through our program after that and became certified, but we realized there's so much overlap between what we do and the way we work with horses. And, uh, he, he told me that when he does clinics, people bring up a horse to him with a problem or an issue that they want to work on. And he has a really good eye for seeing uh, tension and restriction in the horse's body and the rider's body. And he would recognize that the part of the problem they were having wasn't a behavioral issue. It was, there was, the horse was uncomfortable or unable to do what they were asking. So he wouldn't give them a lesson. He would say, go get this taken care of. And he was sending away like 30 or 40% of the people that came to him sometimes. And mm -hmm. so he, uh, he wanted to learn uh, and Chrissy, his wife, more about how to help these horses. So so that uh, they could take care of that component. And then Chrissy suggested at one point that we do a clinic together because, uh, because um, we could do both. We could help release tension in the horse and get it moving well and comfortably. And, we, and then Mark could help the owner with the rider with the, with the issue. So we, we did do these collaborative clinics. And when you put what he asked to see and offer together with what I see from my perspective, it's actually more than the sum of the parts. And um, I think the auditors get the big, the best deal out of it because it, it's, they're just sitting and, you know, watching horse after horse. Well, we do three a day and um, uh, uh, body work and, and lessons. And, and uh, it's a really, it's a really neat thing. And uh, so that's how Mark and I got together doing these clinics. And then their comedy the, act is really good too. They're very funny. <laughs> they are. Yeah, it's not, it's not on purpose. It just it comes out <laughs> with the situation, whatever. And, it, and it, if you do make a, a writer more comfortable than mm. an owner, then they're going to be more, they're going to learn more. They're going to listen. They're going to be more comfortable learning. Their horse is going to be more relaxed mm -hmm. and I get to tell jokes. So. Yeah, you could definitely tell that there was a, a great dynamic between the two of you while you were watching the film, and you could see that the riders were, they were intent in learning and so open as a result of that. But also, I'm sure, Dylan, you had a little bit to do with that openness as well. So, Dylan, why don't you just tell us kind of a little bit about who you are, and then how did you hook up with these two? <laughs> Uh, I'm Dylan Silver. I am a filmmaker, director, writer, and actress. Uh, I'm based in Los Angeles at the moment. Um, I met Mark Rashid years ago um, on a film set. Mark has a passion for screenwriting. Uh, and we connected on a set and he knew that I wanted to direct and that I it was something that I was going to really start focusing my time on. And then about a year or two later, after we had exchanged uh, multiple scripts and sort of just been allies in our dreams and pursuits, he, he asked me if I would be interested in directing a piece that would document this clinic that he and Jim, who I hadn't known at the time, run. And, um, and I, I'm a novice to horses. I knew 
almost nothing, maybe nothing. So I thought, uh, why do you, me? Okay. And then I said, will you, could you please send me uh, just an idea of what it is that you want to document, how you'd want this to go. And he sent me sort of, we call it like a beat sheet, just sort of an outline of how things would be. And they were very um, instructional. Like here's Jim doing this, here's Mark doing that. And I immediately wrote to Mark and I said, um, with all due respect, thank you for thinking of me, but I, I'm not the right person for this job. And he said, why? And I said, well, I'm a narrative filmmaker. So my route is the human route. So yes, I'd love to make a piece that promotes your work, but I would do so inadvertently and I would focus on the human story. I would sort of want to follow your clients who attend the clinic and see if I could make up a story from there. And he and Jim were like, okay, yeah, go, go do that. That's fine with us. And I, I was floored. And, and then I had read some of Mark's books um, and Chrissy's, I knew about the work. So it wasn't that I was out of left field. And I really did feel at the time in my heart that I was the right person to tell the story once they agreed to it being sort of more in the frame of what I had in mind. Because I, I do believe in the philosophy of what Mark is instilling in people. And I personally always felt that it was a universal message, that it was a way in which to create a softer and gentler life in general. And that what he was promoting and what his books talk about are just things that instill a, a level of um, uh, beauty into life. And so I, I think not knowing as much about the the technical details is what allowed me to do the kind of film that came out in the end, because also there's so um, there's so many little things that Mark and Jim teach, which to the naked eye, you don't understand what's really happening or how it's possible of what's going on. So when you see these horses finding huge relief or riding differently with their rider, or when you see a rider saying, oh my gosh, I feel that to the naked eye. You're, you don't really know what they're feeling or what exactly happened. But actually, once you understand what's going on, it's awe-inspiring to see what is being done at these clinics. So I think also as a film director, I had to think really diligently about, well, how am I going to portray to somebody who doesn't know anything about horses yet, why this is so big, why this is such an exciting story to tell. Um, and then I think Jim and Mark really loved the idea that at the end of the day, this would be a film that would be for all horse lovers, but it would also be a film that would really affect people who don't necessarily understand why people love horses so much, or maybe someone who's just trying to learn if they want to get into it, or someone like you guys have mentioned earlier when we first met each other that, you know, you might, you might have been doing this for a long time and have sort of preconceived notions about what is possible. And so Maybe yeah, this one's for you. Yeah. There are a lot of people that have been around horses all their life and they they haven't been exposed to this side, that side of the horse. Yeah. So, and so it's, it's I mean, it was, Mark and I didn't know what you were going to come up with. We thought, okay, just you're going around with cameras and you're talking to people. And, and so we'll <laughs> just do our thing. And it came, I mean, you just kind of honed in on these two participants. And um, it was really great. It was supposed to be a five minute project. It was supposed to be like a five to six minute film. And we filmed, I think about 40 hours over five days. And then I had to sit everyone down and say, okay, guys, I'm really sorry, but I see a bigger idea here. And if you don't mind, give me about six months to, to, 
to put something together because I think there's something more there. And then when I brought it to my editor, he and I together refined and refined and realized there is a bigger story to tell. And they, again, they were so generous to give me that space to, to find the story. I think you did a great job of finding two women at the clinic that really, um, they were quite different in their approach in life and with their horse. So it was very interesting. It was really nice to see those two women because they were quite different in personality and then be able to see Jim and, and Mark work with their horses and see what was showing up with their horses and see their response to Jim and Mark's work. It was, you did a great job of really capturing their personalities and, uh, and the impact that, that the work was having on them. That's awesome. If I, I confess that if I had had more time or if we knew more of what this was going to be, it would have, or if I had a slightly bigger crew, it would have been nice to, to document someone with whom, um, someone who wasn't ready to receive the information to, or someone who was struggling because I did see that as well. I couldn't be at two places in the same time. And I had to be with the, the individuals that I chose. Um, but I actually was following three people for a period of time. And then I, I realized it's gotta be these two women, but there were, there's individuals there that I think that what Jim and Mark are offering is not like a do this and you'll get this result. What they're saying is something that's so much more enriching and can have such a long lasting effect, but it requires, I think, more of the individual. And it was interesting to see who was resistant to the information versus who was just like open and just ready or who was vulnerable and had to actively make that choice of, I'm just going to listen. I'm not going to judge myself because these men aren't judging me. They're telling me that it just change is possible. Mm -hmm. That's hard. Yeah. It is a vulnerable thing. And, and when you combine body work on a horse and you start to say, okay, this is what I'm seeing for my horse physically or for this horse physically. And this might be what's showing up and restricting them here. And then you add the element of riding on top of that. And you say, now you could change this. Um, that's a really vulnerable place to put people in. And, you know, some people, like you said, are really ready for that, Dylan. And some people, it's like an introduction to being ready. So they may never land on that again for the next 10 years, but mm -hmm. in 10 years, maybe they're going to go, Oh, I remember that one time, uh, somebody showed up that way for an animal. Maybe I should do that. Do you get a lot of that vulnerability outside of the joint clinic? No, the people that come to, to our, you know, well, my clinics and also to Mark and my clinics generally are, they're ready to learn, you know, they're, they, they're, they're familiar enough with what I do with the body work that, that they, they really want to learn it. And they know that they can learn it because it's teachable, and, you know, and that's what we do. But there's all, there, there's different levels of, you know, uh, resistance or not accepting, but they're also, you know, I just learned there are different, everybody's different. You know, some people learn in a very linear fashion and they want things laid out, you know, A, B, C, D. And, and often those people are also perfectionists. So when they don't get a result right away, then they, they get frustrated and other people are more, they're more laid back with it and they, and they, they, uh, it's a little easier for them to get it. But it, like, you know, if you have a personality where you really are used to doing things a certain way and you have a hard time changing that way of doing things in life, then you might have a hard time. It'll be, it just take you longer. I, I think, was it on your website? I saw something about intention. Um, mm -hmm. uh, you're in, if you have the intention when you're working, I can only speak, you know, 
from the bodywork side or actually doing anything with a horse. It applies. If you're in, if you have this agenda, um, the horse is going to internally have some bracing against your agenda because it's not the horse's agenda. And so if you have a, an agenda and a plan, you can have a plan to start somewhere, but if your agenda doesn't change, then the horse, you're going to have a harder time with the horse because your intention is too focused on what you want. So you have to be open to changing that. And when you have the value of feedback from the horse, then it's really helpful because then you say, oh, my agenda is getting in the way. I have to shift here and go this way with the horse. So um, it's kind of like when you said you did the, the, what, what I call the Vladimir Meridian technique, where you run your hand very lightly down the top line of the horse, which you can do actually anywhere on the horse's body to search for a change in the behavior, which I call a response, which means the horse is feeling something there and he's and and he and but in a way he can't brace against it because you're not using pressure and so you'll see a subtle sign like a blink um that vladimirian technique and then if you stay there long enough the horse's nervous system will start to let its guard down and it will start to release that tension and it'll show you with larger responses like licking chewing or repeated yawning but you are doing it without having the the visual cues mm -hmm. you're just you just knew to stop somewhere because it felt different mm -hmm. so your agenda you didn't get in the way of it so that you were able to do that. Yeah. Does that make sense? Oh, 100%. And I think feedback is one of the most important lessons that a horse can teach us. So I used to be a high school teacher and feedback was the thing that like timely feedback was the thing I struggled with because I was like, oh my God, I have all of these things to do. But horses teach me how to teach because they give us such immediate feedback but if we're not open to listening to that, that's, you know, that's where we find that brace and that's where we find the frustration and all of these other things that come along because they expect us to show up that way. And the fact that there's now so many open conversations happening to teach people how to really look for that feedback and to value the feedback and then to act accordingly is incredible in my eyes. So I'm really excited about being able to really bring this, uh, I guess, awareness about this film to my audience, because until I had an email about it, I hadn't heard of it yet. So I was really excited and hopped on to, I found it on Amazon Prime, but then I think you can also get it off of uh, your website, I believe, Jim, is that correct? And are there um, other ways that people can find a mind like Stillwater? I think on Mark's website and our website, but it's on iTunes and on Apple TV, I think. And, and it's on everywhere. Amazon. It's, it's everywhere. <laughs> and, and actually, I'm happy that people find it anywhere on Amazon right. Prime or YouTube or, or iTunes or whatever, because then it reaches more people. So if you're international, you can get it on Vimeo um, and all these platforms, you can either rent it or purchase it. The film only came out two months ago, two, okay. two and a half. So it's not that you weren't in the know. You're in. You're more in the know than most. <laughs> well, it's yeah. It's it is fantastic. I sat and watched it, and it's a nice amount of time too to really be able to absorb. It's not too long of a fil film to be able to get lost in anything, but I, I feel like you just did a brilliant job of being able to capture not only a message, but also just the feel of what this work can do for people. I love the dynamic. Again, we talked about the dynamic between Jim and Mark. That was great to watch. But there's something else that I wanted to land on because in my correspondence back and forth organizing for this interview, I believe it was Natalie said 
that the documentary is an important one about stillness and softness in this turbulent time. Either Dylan or Jim, do you want to just speak to that a little bit about why is it so important that we put this out right now and for, you know, not only horse owners, but people everywhere just to be able to experience something like this? I want to hear Jim's response. I was going to let you go and then I was going to interrupt you, but I'll just start if you want. (laughs) We'll trade. Um, Well, you were talking about the feel of the film and, um, you know, Mark's training with horses all about feel and softness. Like there's, it's such a subtle level of softness and we miss that in the horse. We miss what the horse is telling us because we don't, um, we just go, we kind of barge through that. And even when we don't think we're barging through it, it's, you can go as subtle with the horse as you want to. And the, and the, like you were, or I was saying, we were saying the feedback is so valuable. If you know what to look for, you have to look for the really subtle feed, feedback. And it, and it, it, it starts to border on like what, what we were talking about before, woo, the woo-woo, you know, it's not woo-woo. It's something you can actually see and do. It's not something that, and that anybody can see and do this, but um, horses are so amazing because we miss so much, you know, we miss so much of what they're telling us because we're going at our pace and our speed. And all it takes is one, just to learn how to soften way up and two, just to take the time, just anything you're doing with a horse. It doesn't, it can be any body work modality. It can be anything to do with training, which every time you do something with a horse, you're training it. And if you just learn to stop and step back and see what the horse has to say or see what happens, then it, it makes anything you do so much more effective. But the other theme of the movie, or I think the lesson of the movie is that um, you you have to be, and Mark says it in the, in the film, that you can't be one way in life and then another way with your horse and expect your horse, you can't just change. Okay, I'm gonna be soft now that I'm with my horse. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I'm gonna just treat everybody else like <laughs> however I want. You have to really be that way. I remember and when I, he said that in the film, the- yeah analogy of how do you close doors? How do you put a cup cup of coffee down? And I remember saying to my camera operator, I was like, did you get that? Like, (laughs) cause when he said it, I I got teary eyed and I felt like this is the thing that we're trying to quote unquote prove in the documentary. It's like, that's, that's the, that's the point. That's the, yeah. yeah. And there's a flip, there's a flip side of that too, because with, with the way we work with horses and with masters method is because you're asking for move. Well, there's two ways, there's two kind of levels of the body work. One is is you're using there are certain points you can search on for the horse looking for really subtle responses and you at you use absolutely no pressure like i call it air gap and um almost just barely touching the hair and as you run your fingers over the horse and you see a subtle change like a lip twitch or an eye blink the horse is telling you something there if you're not sure the horse just blank blanked blank or blinked or, or twitched you just go over that same spot and if you get a blink at that exact same spot there's a correlation so and then if you just wait there and do nothing and put no pressure on the horse, the horse's nervous system will switch from the sympathetic, which is the fight, flight, or brace. It'll start to switch over to the parasympathetic, which is release and relax and, and um, the healing part of the nervous system. And all you have to do is keep the horse's awareness on that spot. So you're bringing awareness to, the, to that spot for the horse because they block it out to survive. So um, that's one uh, type of techniques. The others involve gentle movement of certain, you know, when you move a joint or a junction or a muscle through a range of motion in a relaxed state for the horse, it'll release tension. But if you're bracing and the horse is bracing against you, it's not gonna work. So as you're asking for movement and the horse starts to brace because it's feeling discomfort in that area, you learn to soften on that. You don't learn, you know, as humans, we brace when the horse braces. 
So it's a little counterintuitive. You have to learn to soften when that happens. And so when you run into resistance, you soften. And then when the horse softens, you move through it and you've allowed the horse to release that tension. So the flip side of what Dylan was talking about is that it works with people. When you run into resistance with people, if you learn to soften a tiny bit, the resistance, resistance softens and you can move through it. So it's kind of the flip side of the same point. That's why it goes together so well, what Mark and I do. When yeah. you talked about turbulent times, you made me think of, um, you know, all the prejudice, uh, the, the, what's in the news lately, the, un, and I, and it made me think of un, un, um, subconscious prejudice and sort of preconceived notions that individuals have and, it's interesting. Judgments. We, Judgments, we, yeah. yeah. And at this clinic, right, in the film, you see individuals who are coming with years of probably going to other trainers, other teachers, riding for years. These two women, since they were children, they love horses. And then they're being told something new, which in some ways goes against the whole ideology on which they've based the way they navigate their horses. And so you're watching these women have to remind themselves that horses don't have a story, which is something that we talk about in the film, that humans carry baggage. We carry stories. We don't do something well with our horses. And we think I'm a bad person. I'm a bad horse owner. I'm a bad horse mom. I'm a horrible person. Mm -hmm. And I'm now I'm sad. And now I'm, a, and now I'm unhappy. And that's how it is often in life. We do something. And that's, why I think, one of the reasons people aren't ready to accept when they make mistakes, when they have unconscious prejudice or bias or, you know, we're judging each other because we're so attached to our ideologies and our philosophies about things that we think that people don't actually have our back. So people that are offering us new insight, they actually just want to bring us into their way of thinking or something. And so here's Mark and Jim, and they're saying, the horse doesn't have a story. If you want to change your relationship, you can today. And all that it will require, all that it will require of you is to let go, listen to your horse. And by the end of the film, Mark says to Linda, one of the um, uh, women who goes to this clinic, he says, just think the thought of wanting to stop. And she does. And the horse stops and her mind is blown. And you see how in the course of a few days, she's gone from having a story about their relationship and how it's been so arduous and, and, you know, no way of remedying it. And then a few days later, after she just lets go of their history and says like, I'm ready to not judge myself. I'm ready to just lead with, from a place of love and just yeah. So, yeah, Mark, yeah, Mark talks about that because the, uh, somebody will be telling, you know, Mark uh, about what's going on with their horse and what the problem is. And then once we get the horse uh, to let, you know, relaxed and get uh, the rider listening, then he says, that's, that was yesterday. You're, you have to start with where your horse is now. You want, you want your horse to be perfect. And so that's where you're trying to get to, but you got to start now. Start, this is your horse today. So this is where we start. And you don't, you don't base it on, uh, this goal you want to attain or what some everybody else's horse is doing. And you have to change in yourself to do that. You have to change yourself. To, and, and one thing Dylan said that, you know, people, you didn't say this, but you were going there that 
Um, people come with, they're wanting to fix a problem because that's the way they've done it their whole life with, life with their horse. They're, you know, I have a problem and I need to fix it. And, and um, that's not how you fix the problem. You have to change something else. You know, you, you have to change something else. And then the problem often just resolve, fixes itself or uh, you've allowed, the, given the horse space to kind of uh, physical space and mental and emotional space to do what you're asking. And so it's not about fixing a problem. And when we're working on horses, I say, if you're in, if you're trying to fix a problem, um, then that agenda is going to get in the way. And if you just let go and follow, I mean, let go of that and follow what the horse is telling you and give the horse time and space to let something go, you'll end up fixing a problem. But I say, we don't fix problems with physical problems with the horse because it, it, that's not going to work. And it's a whole shift in the way that you, you, a lot of people have been working with their horses, their whole horse life. Mm-hmm. And every time you think you get it, there's still more layers. Like at the clinic, Jim will say, let go of expectations. And these, and these individuals will be like, I'm, I'm in, I'm on board. And then they'll start <laughs> with the body work and they'll be like, my horse isn't relaxing. And then Jim will be like, we'll say, well, again, let go of expectations. Yeah. And then every time they go, oh, okay, got it. Got it again. Got it. Okay. Yeah. And then they're just there. And then suddenly things happen. And in life, that's exact, it's the same thing. Everything we talk about, you could just put in any other word instead of horses, I feel like. And I mean, I'm so glad I found the work when I did, you know, just it, it it's so, it's so beneficial to the rest of one's life. And by the end of a clinic, yeah. yeah, by the end of a bodywork clinic, when we do bodywork seminars, the, um, you're, you, it, you do start to change, you know, participants do start to change just not because we're saying change this. It's the same thing. You know, can't tell the horse to change this. You just say, try this and do this. And they do that, do that. And then pretty soon at the end of the clinic, they're doing this bodywork techniques. Like they've been doing them, you know, for a while. And that bladder meridian technique is almost like, you know, a meditation. You, it's so quiet your mind down. And that's the way we start working on the horse. You bear, you just slowly run your hand down and you watch the horse's eye. And then, um, you're looking for blinks or twitches and then you're stopping and pretty soon your, your um, record stops playing in your head because you're focused on that. And you're not focused like, well, a lot of people are like, eh. <laughs> but then by the time they get to the end of the, the horse doing the bladder meridian, they're not, they're like, they're quiet and they're just paying attention to the horse. So that's pretty cool. It's just the egoic mind just sort of disappears. That voice yeah, just, just telling you all yeah, the yeah. nonsense goes away. Yeah, we're not telling people to stop thinking or stop doing this. We say, watch the horse's eye, you know, and then you, they end up doing that. But one thing you said when you were asking about, you know, these times of, you know, what's going on in the world and everything. And you started the film, Dylan, with uh, interviewing her. And she's talking about somebody yelling at her in the parking lot in her car. And I'm first watching and going, Dylan, we're not teaching driving lessons here. What's this all about? <laughs> but then that leads right into the the story <laughs> it was so good yeah. and like why is someone talking about that at this clinic you know and and she's doing it of her own accord like I, I don't remember what the question was that I asked her but we're just talking we get we would go into discussions about humanity and about why she loves horses and why she loves animals and you know I mean these are two women that big life choices have been made a, a, um, they were founded on distancing themselves from the nine to five sort of like work day for Linda specifically. She worked so hard at this job that bred her no joy. 
and she got sick. She was just, she was, she didn't feel good. And she made a huge change to make her life be more connected to nature and go back to horses, which was the thing she knew she loved when she was younger. And Linda's just followed horses, you know, throughout her whole life. And I mean, it's amazing how COVID has, I love what it's done for some individuals, which it's afforded them the opportunity to stop doing things the way they've been programmed to do them. They go wherever they want to go. So many people I know have left Los Angeles and I'm thrilled for that. You know, I, I just think like, I want everyone to take that value system, which is founded in terms of what makes them feel good, good versus like what society has sort of told you to do. And, and I think that in some ways, like this clinic and other instances in life, these are your opportunities to say, you know what, I don't want to do things the way I've always been doing them. I want to do it differently. And um, sometimes it takes a big moment like this or to, yeah. to do that. Plus, it only takes you two and a half hours to get across town now instead of three. <laughs> Everybody's leaving L.A. <laughs> I mean, somehow that that's still not a, it's still a long oh, still trip, not there. Okay. but I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Some people, some youngins have also been like, you know what? I'm going to move to L.A. Go to L.A. Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. They got the golden ticket. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I have to just say like what you just said about how those women were feeling or how that one woman was feeling. That is like, I feel like that is something that's happening. And maybe Jim, you can speak to this too. I feel like that's happening in the equine industry right now where people are starting to see and they're going, oh my gosh, I've learned that my whole life, but that's not what I want to do anymore. I don't want to stay there. I don't want to, to teach my horse um, based on this methodology anymore. I see a kinder, more loving way. And, and that is what I'm being drawn to. And instead of doing things based on what they've been told is right or wrong, they're starting to use their intuition more and start to feel their way into, you know, if it doesn't feel right, then I can guarantee you there's another way about the same process um, and I feel like the work that you're doing, Jim, and the work that Mark is doing, it's leading people to have that open perspective and that, that feeling of yeah. like, oh my gosh, there is another way. <laughs> I always knew there was, but what is it? Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, this whole, the whole natural horsemanship thing has been, has brought that kind of, that people's attention to that way of working with horses, mm. whatever you want to say about it, you know, there's, uh, but it's just like probably millions or hundreds of thousands of horse people are at least saying there's a different way and it's slowly changing you know people are are changing even you know even in competition which is you know rough on a horse that levels of competition um more people in that world are, world it's it's slower because you know they have an agenda and a goal of winning mm -hmm. but um you know we have an instructor who cut who does cutting uh competes and cutting on a high level and she She's doing barefoot, you know, and she's like way up there and she's, her goal is to slowly change that whole world of competition where there's more of a team approach and working together for, um, for the benefit of the horse, which also includes winning, but in a way that's not, you know, sacrificing, um, sacrificing the, the health of the animal. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's even starting to catch on in those levels, although those, that's a harder nut to crack. And, and I know, cause I worked on hunter jumpers, you know, for nine years on that level. And, um, but, uh, trainers are starting to at least see the physical benefits mm -hmm. of doing this type of work with the horse. Yeah. 
I agree. I do think it's, it's slowly but surely kind of just feeding its way into the right people's minds, opening up some doors. And, you know, my hope is that, uh, like I worked with a young girl today and my hope is that she will be the future. I have to say that I literally, Dylan and Jim, I've literally had goosebumps the entire time you've been speaking because almost everything you've said has touched on something that I've been speaking about or teaching about with other people or myself within the podcast. So all of it's going to sound familiar and it's going to land on the listeners. I have no doubt. Um, with I went on, I went on your website to the you know, today. And I said, Oh, we're going to get along fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I have a privilege of working with, I don't know, Jim, if you know Beth Killo at all, she runs the circle up experience and she's absolutely brilliant. And it's funny because you were talking about like the pace and the feel and that there's so many areas that we teach together, but that's so one of them is that pace and feel in life and in horses and how you really can start to look. And so I just, yeah, I think that, I don't know if you've ever, and I've, I've spoken about this book so many times, but I'm sure people are sick of hearing it, but you hear the book, um, Big Magic, where Elizabeth Gilbert, Love you know, that Dylan, isn't Christy it like- McDonald, who's a writer, Mark's uh, wife, who's um, uh, certified for the Masterson Method, she gifted me that book. Oh. It's, it's so good. So good. So I feel like when I read big magic and I have conversations like this, it just like solidifies why big magic became a book. And, uh, and it makes me so hopeful for the horse industry because it's really, it's a, this is a conversation that's taking place in behind closed doors, but now also in open conversations. And it's really going to help not, I, I kind of joke and I'm like, I'm going to save the world one horse person at a time. <laughs> Jim, Big Magic is a book that Elizabeth Gilbert wrote about writing. It's yeah. just about writing. And, and, and it's, and it's so good. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, good. When you're done with it, you can gift it over to me. Well, I'll just <laughs> he go wrote online. me a little note and I'll write you a little note. <laughs> yeah, we'll oh. pass it around. <laughs> no, I'll go find, I'll go find it. Um, I just got off the phone today with one of our, uh, a couple, a married couple that went through our certification program recently, and they just became certified pony club trainers. So, and there's a big pony club every, I think it used to be every two years in Lexington, it's like the finals, it's a pony club festival and they're like three or 4,000 kids there with their horses from clubs all over the country. And so they're, they're, they're doing demonstrations there where, where they're gonna be teaching kids how to do the bladder meridian on their horses. And um, I'm, uh, we talked about it and I decided I'm gonna go too, so I can make sure I'm doing it right. But um, the, they wanna get this into the pony club, you know, this type of uh, awareness, you know, of course, is to kids early. So that was exciting. It's amazing. Um, so good. This is, this is exactly what needs to go into pony clubs. Yeah. I can just imagine what it would be like for, to grow up with this sort of, like you said, awareness, this sort of feel for horses rather than, um, you know, the idea of, of them being a vehicle, really establishing that connection and partnership that young. Oh, so brilliant. I'm so glad you're doing that. Yeah, oh. that's exciting. That just yes. happened today. Oh, fantastic. 
That's great. Okay. So I wanted to touch on one more piece before we, uh, before we break off and you tell us kind of like where we find the things and Jim, we didn't get to talk about much about the Masterson method. Um, but I definitely encourage people to, uh, to check everything out because it is brilliant, but I wanted to talk a little bit more about resistance because one thing that I kind of, I think I landed on it today was, is, which is interesting because maybe it was because I was, you know, in the headspace of coming and speaking to you today. Um, but watching your videos. So this, this is my information solely off of the beyond horse massage videos, but just my understanding of the Masterson method gained from those. And then I had a horse brought to me today and started working with that horse. And I had that, that feel for what you were doing in the videos and kind of what I was doing on the ground with the horse. And I brought it into tack with me and it was very interesting So I had that sort of, I don't want to say it wasn't really an intention. It was just that feel and that, that awareness of, okay, what is she going to offer? And before we walked off, she yawned, I would say 15 times if she yawned five, right? So she just yawned and yawned and yawned and we sat and the young girl who owns her, she's about 11 and she just laughed and she was like, like, why is, what, what is happening? But I really feel like the work that you're doing as people become more exposed and practiced at it, it really can inform their riding. And I know that that's part of, you know, and why Mark was so probably interested to bring this into a clinic with himself, but experiencing what I did today um, while riding and just having that awareness in the back of my mind and that practice, I was like, this is, there's, there's really more to this um, for everyone really. Yeah. Um, less is more, you know, and even yeah. less more is more less. But um, I think I think Chrissy said that uh, I think one thing that they heard me say, maybe it was at a horse expo at a demo that like with this type of body work, if something's not working, the horse isn't responding or releasing, you actually need to use less pressure mm-hmm. rather than more pressure because we're programmed the other way. And that's exactly what Mark says when he's, you know, when in, in his riding training. So uh more isn't better less is better and I think I think part of it too was really feeling and looking for like not looking for any sort of so movement through the pole axis without the relaxation first so kind of really looking for the relaxation and then the soft movement and then the release was Mm really like it was really cool yeah it's like when you first put your hands on the horse, like, you know, I'll use that lateral cervical flexion. It's a technique where we gently move our way down the vertebra of the neck. And you put your hand on the horse's nose and you put your other hand up by, by the pole. And the first thing you have to do before you do anything is soften. Mm-hmm. You have to soften. And you see, you'll, you'll see the horse eyes soften because he's like waiting, depending on what's going on up there and how trusting he is, he's like waiting for, and then you soften and then the horse just lets go and then it's just automatic. And then you ask for a little movement and then you soften. And then you ask for a little more and then you soften. And if you find the horse bracing against you, you automatically soften. So it's, it's counterintuitive. And when you get the visual feedback that it's working and you get the palpable feedback because you'll run, you'll be going down the neck and you'll hit a spot where it like, we'll have a knot in our neck. You hit a spot where the horse has a knot. And as you're, as you try to move, you move that the horse is going to brace, you soften, the horse softens, and then you move through it. There's no more resistance at that spot or less. So you get the palpable feedback 
and the visual feedback at the same time. And those are big words for just softening, yeah. <laughs> you know, relaxation. Uh, that's all it is. But you have to add the movement and you have to provide that stimulus with points to, to bring the horse's awareness to that because they survive by blocking it out. They don't, that's their program. They're programmed to just, they start limping the minute they get sore, they, they become a target. So that's why it's so hard to evaluate lameness in a horse because they're just programmed to block it out and get on with life. They have no choice. You know, they don't even know they don't have a choice, but they just do that. And so you're finding where it is by asking for the movement or searching with the light touch. And you, so you have to provide that kind of a little bit of stimulus. And it's interesting because when you get into Mark's work with horses, it's the same thing. The horse doesn't, the horse, uh, he uses curiosity in the horse. So you have to enliven that curiosity in the horse to find a different way to do things, mm -hmm. you know, and it's, it's even more subtle than putting on pressure and releasing, you know, a lot of training is you, you put on pressure and then when the horse gets it, you release. It's even more subtle than that. It's the pressure isn't really pressure. It's just, it's just enlivening that horse's sense of curiosity about finding the best way. And when the horse gets it, then they really get it. They're not being kind of told to get it yeah. in a training having from a training point of view. Having seen the work, I mean, when Jim is telling everyone, okay, these are, he has names for each type of pressure. And then he says air gap. And then, and then you see that the hand isn't even necessarily, it looks like it's not even touching the horse and the audience. So, nah, that's not going <laughs> to do anything. And then they go and they do it and it, they're astounded. And then that's what they think is, is magic. The woo -woo part, yeah. The woo -woo stuff. It's, but it's not, it's just, it's just, just like keep, Jim said, it's yeah. the opposite of what we think we need to do. Yeah, you're just keeping the horse's awareness on a place and in a way he can't brace against it. So you can, if the horse is, if just barely touching the hair is too much for the horse, you could, if say the horse, you know, his ears kind of, his eyes get big and he, he doesn't like it. You back away. This, this happens a lot at the pole because so many horses have head, or head shy because of tension in the pole. And you put your hand up there and their eyes get big and they back away. So if you back your hand away till you see the eyes off and you might be that far away as you're doing it and you just stay there. And you're just keeping the horse's attention awareness on it. It's not like magic, you know. It's so it's, is um, it is it energy? Is it heat? Well, is it combination. It, it, well, I think a lot of people that do Reiki like to you know they are attracted to this, and I'm, they might feel energy, and then everything's energy. But mm -hmm. from our point of view, you know, anybody can do this without having to feel learn to feel energy. It's, heat might be involved. It's just bringing the horse's awareness to it, his attention to something that he's been blocking out okay. to survive. That's all. You're just keeping his attention on it at whatever level of pressure that he can handle uh, without it being, without him uh, racing against it. Mm -hmm. So, and we have the visual feedback to tell that. So I'm sure there's energy going on. A lot of people, see, they'll do this, the bladder meridian from, they don't even go in the stall because the horse is over against the other side. He's, he's you know, scared and they'll just do, do it and they'll till they see the horse blink and then they wait and the horse starts yawning and releasing repeated yawning and then the horse head drops they let out a big sigh and they shift weight from leg to leg i mean it's clear that the horse has just let some tension go because you just helped it by bringing his awareness to it in a way that he couldn't guard against it so it's, cool it's woo woo no it isn't woo, -woo. <laughs> we're just, trying to get away from the woo woo thing. it's not woo woo cool. But yeah. it's something that looks like magic and it is totally yeah. attainable for anyone. I love it. 
Well, okay. we were joking about the woo woo part. I know. <laughs> so, and I do. I think anybody can do this. Anybody yeah. can do this. It's not. It isn't magic. It's just all what you see happening. I think it's funny because you know I really do feel like there's been this like use of and Dylan, you and I had this conversation. The use of the word woo woo, where mm-hmm. you know it's funny what it's been attached to. It's really been attached to um, things that relate to whether it be. Uh, energy work or personal growth or meditation or things of where people stop doing and they start being. So it's like the least woo woo out of all the things that we do. If you think of like, you know, we fly in airplanes from point A to point B, that seems a lot more woo woo than being able to like slow my thoughts and sit and be in stillness and peace. (laughs) So it's kind of funny how that's happened, but I think it's really result been a result of the way we've been programmed to live. It's almost like to explore those modalities is an attack on who we are as individuals. Because again, we're so attached to the story of I am a human, I am alive. This is is how life is supposed to be navigated. And there's, it's like meditation. We don't believe it's going to work. And then we do it for the first time and we stress about it. And then a couple of times later, it feels so good. And then we still resist going back to it, even though we know it feels so good and it's so good for us. But there's this calm that sets in where our voice in our head stops and we're able to just see things as they really are without our preconceived notions about it, without our self judgments. And that's what Mark and Jim's work is doing. And I felt, I feel like that's what the film sort of shows that when you stop you take yourself out of the equation, not because you don't matter, but because you're incredible and it's okay to make mistakes and it's okay to, you know, make, yeah. do whatever, whatever you want to do. And you just sort of show up and, and. Well, and the horse change. become, the horse becomes the screen, you know, the mirror, the horse becomes yeah. like that all of a sudden it's about the horse and not, you can let go of your stuff. You're not even a part of it. You're just yeah. an observer who wants to participate. Mm-hmm. And it's not about you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's brilliant. I love everything about it. And I respect your time. So we're going to just finish off unless there's anything else, any insight about either the film or the work that you do um, that you really wanted to share that you we've missed. Is there any like last tidbits or are we no, I don't think I, you know, as far as the, you know, what we do with the body work, the Masterson method is basically what we've been talking about. You know, it just, it just, um, it manifests itself in better performance and movement in the horse. You know, I started doing this working on hunter jumpers you yeah. know, and as I was grooming hunter jumpers and I just came across watching the horses being worked on and seeing these changes in behavior. So I did it to, to improve movement and performance in the horse. And and it turns out that it worked. It was effective or I wouldn't have been able to continue doing it. They don't hire you back. if It doesn't work. So, I, you know, for nine years I did it and but started teaching it because I realized people wanted it was teachable. It was about relationship with your horse more than as much as improving performance in the horse. So um, everything we talked about is basically what we do, but it has also a very practical <laughs> Um, yeah. side to it too. I love that there's that practical because it's so relatable to everyone. I went to your website as well, obviously. And it was great because as I navigated it, you could really see that you're offering people an opportunity to be what their horses need to really establish that connection and relationship and be, you know, so many, so many of us 
myself included, you go, okay, well, in order for me to be able to offer them what I need, do I need someone else? Do I need to send them to a trainer? Do I need a massage therapist? Do I need a chiropractor? Like, and this offers you to be a part of your horse's team to make them feel optimally, but also connected to you. So I think it's, yeah, that's what we do. We just want to, I don't even think of it as, as a business. I think of it as, as I make a living sharing it with people. So, um, so they can do it themselves and anybody can learn to do this and they can, uh, they can go on YouTube and watch some of the YouTube videos for free and just try the bladder meridian or on our website, we have a 17 minute video and teaches you how to do it. So you just for free, and then you just go and do it. And if you see that you can do it and you want to learn more, then you'll come and learn more. So then you can come and learn more. And then if you see that you can do that and you want to learn more, you can come and learn more, but you don't, there's the bladder meridian is like, how, how can I charge for that? I mean, it's so simple, you know? Oh, I do have a question about the bladder meridian. How, like, how often would you do this? Would well, you, you can, do this like once a, a, a day with your horse or well, you, whenever? You could do a little bit of it every day with your horse. Um, you'll find pretty soon that if you spend a lot of, like if you were to spend like 40 minutes doing the bottom reading on your horse, he's going to get cooked. His nervous system is just going to get like their nervous system gets overloaded when you, when you at some point and they just kind of don't go dull, but you'll recognize that if you're paying attention to the horse, but it, it depends on the horse, but you could do a little bit of the bladder meridian every day and be fine. But uh, if you're going to do an hour every day, you're going to find that your horse after three days is going to just not respond because their nervous system has to catch up with all the changes. It has to process the changes. Um, so uh, the answer is, is pay attention to your horse, but you can do a little bit every day, or you can, if you wanted to do a full session on your horse of, um, of all the techniques and beyond horse massage, you wouldn't want to do it more than, uh, once a week or once every two weeks, because you'll find that your horse just gets it, at some point they have to, they'll stop releasing because their nervous system has to process the changes. Okay. Is that an answer? It's hard to that's answer. A, that is a, that's a perfect answer. That's yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, no, that's great. I, I have two Morgans and I drive them. And every time I go to tack up the horses, I'll start, I'll do a little bladder meridian on the horses just because to make them feel good, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, sometimes I end up just doing body work on them. When I, my intention was to go for a drive, but I can do a little bit every day or the other techniques involve movement. I know that Annabelle, she gets tense in the pole. She, she's had laminitis, uh, chronic laminitis before, and she's a little insulin resistant. So every time I work on her, I'll loosen up her pole a little bit. I'll do a couple scapular releases before I, you know, so like five minutes before I tack her up and Jeremiah, I know he's, they're both a little older now. And I know he gets, uh, his lower back gets sore and his sacroiliac. So I'll do, I'll do some, uh, under the sacrum float or, or the under the tail points or something and get him relaxing behind before. So you start to know where your horses are holding tension because with the bladder meridian, you go down the whole body and you'll start to recognize, Oh, he, every time I go over him, he gives me a lot of releases here. So I'll know that maybe I'll just spend some time right here instead of doing the whole horse. It, there's no like strict roles except slow down and go light. That's like mantra for life now. Slow yeah. down and go light. <laughs> yeah. Or like, don't go anywhere. Don't go at all. Yeah. yeah. Slow down. Yeah. What's the other one? Like go big or don't go or whatever that is the opposite of that. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go big or go home. Yeah. Go big or go home. <laughs> you know, go light and slow down or go home. Yeah. And when you go home, go slowly. <laughs> Oh, it's good. Okay. Well, I have to just say thank you so much. And uh, I can't wait for everyone who's listening to go and watch 
a mind like still water. You will not be sorry, but I, I feel like it's just, it's so good. And it's definitely something the world needs to see, especially the horse world right now. And I thank you guys for your work and, you know, Dylan, where you're not a hundred percent involved in this whole crazy horse world that we're in. Um, but so willing to really see this, this important side of it. And she uh, did an amazing did. job with the oh, documentary. Brilliant. It's such a pleasure to share. And I think I embodied what Mark and Jim teach everyone, which is don't have an agenda. Just, I think I just listened to the story. Yeah. She just came in blind, you know, not knowing anything. About so the blind. <laughs> there, and it's great. There was no way to fully prepare. And so you let go, you, you do what you can. You, I read their materials. I knew about their work, but then I, you, I don't remember how many days was it like, was it four days or three days? And you guys were out there all day long and you got 40 hours worth of whatever it was. And then you were up all night editing and coming. And then you get up the next morning, the three of them would come out with their eyeballs hanging out with their equipment, yeah. following everybody around. And then, yeah. then at night, we'd all go off and have a beer and they'd be over there like watching everything and editing. Everything, so. It was awesome. I mean, yeah. even it's such a pleasure that this film is out publicly and is shareable. I mean, even the music is original. I worked with a composer in Israel for months on it. I mean, every, every aspect about this film was a labor of love and for it to be part of a, such a beautiful community and to be accessible now is, yeah. I mean, I don't think anyone thought it was going to be possible to do what we've done. So yeah, it's awesome. really good. well, congratulations, both of you. And uh, well, this has been fun too. This, this interview yeah, yeah. thanks yeah. good luck on your podcast you. it's just sort of a new venture right it's been for a little while you're going to be episode 63 or 60 oh this ain't new this so isn't new at all this is amazing <laughs> i have another podcast which is new and it's called the canada horse podcast and i i have a beautiful oh. co-host for that one um oh, so cool. maybe maybe we can hop on there too sometime because sure. uh it would be another audience it's a totally different audience that would be a privilege to be able to hear about the film. So thank you so much. It's been an honor to speak with both of you. Yeah. Thank you're you, welcome. Nikki. Pleasure. Thanks. Yeah. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for choosing to spend your time with me. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please leave a review and share it with your friends. To learn more about me and what else I have on the go, skip on over to NikkiPorter.ca. Thanks again for listening, and we'll connect again next week. Until then, remember, you have the power to take the reins and live the life you've always wanted. You just have to step into the arena with an open heart and an open mind.